Hey there, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. Now, if you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review so your friends know that this is a show that they can learn from. Follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. Now, enjoy this episode. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. Daniel, I have got to tell you a very quick story, and I think this is very uh, appropriate for our audience. I very rarely buy trip insurance. Uh, I think it's kind of one of those things that it's like, ugh. I mean, I, I, you know, if I have to cancel this or what, you know, whatever. But our sort of rule in our home is when we're traveling with our children and it involves airfare or something along those lines, we get the trip insurance. Because while I may be able to uh, pop a few Tylenol and get on the plane and I'm good to go, obviously the kid, that might be a different story. My middle son and I had an epic European trip planned for this summer. It's kind of been a rite of passage in our family. Uh, We booked it way before all the COVID stuff. Got the insurance. Booyah. Okay. And now finally made a decision. Look, there's no way I'm taking my 10-year-old over to Rome. You know, what happens if one of us gets sick? I mean, blah, 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 blah. So we canceled. I thought for sure it would be a no-brainer. Every you know hotel, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, of course." With COVID, you know, you're. If we wouldn't have had the insurance, we wouldn't have gotten a refund. They were holding to their policy of non, you know, because of course we did a package deal, non-refundable, yada yada, to save a million dollars. But for that hundred-dollar trip insurance, it saved us literally thousands of dollars. My dad was a genius. That's impressive. Well, I've never. Have you ever used a trip insurance? Uh, you know, we've had it a few times. I don't, I don't think we've had to file a claim. This is the second time. So they didn't, so Travelocity, plug for them, not a sponsor, should be. They, because we had this insurance, they just reimbursed it all. Like we don't have to file a claim or anything like that. They just said, because you have the trip insurance, Travelocity is reimbursing any cancellation penalties or anything like that. I don't know. There you go. All I know is it's coming back on the card in 30 to 45 days. Interesting. So there you go. In theory, then trip insurance companies have enough in the coffers to oh, absorb I don't know. this. I, I don't know. I, guess. I don't know about all that now. <laughs> I don't know the ripple effects of all of this. I don't know. That'll be interesting. All right. Well, uh, we're going to get to our question day. First of all, welcome to DIY Money. We are, I mean, I'm loving the emails. Keep them coming to podcast at DIYmoney.org. Podcast at DIYmoney.org. Great questions that we're getting, and we love the comments. So we really do appreciate that. Uh, we're going to go to Peter. We got a good question, and we seem to be, I'm hearing more and more of this out there. I'm reading about it. It's this murmur. Um, I don't engage in the in the debate, uh, but now that I have a one-way podium, uh, I look forward to giving my two cents. So there you go. Uh, without further ado, let's get to Peter. Uh, question regarding some student loan stuff. What do you got, Peter? D-I-Y! Hey, guys. I had a question regarding student loans and the upcoming election. So I've been out of school for one year and have been making payments close to the minimum on my student loans and have been saving other money to make a bulk large payment at a later date. And I've seen Joe Biden has a plan related to a lot of student loan forgiveness. So I was hesitant to make that large payment if it's possible that six months from now that amount of money will be forgiven. So I was just wondering your guys' uh, thoughts on the election and whether I should 
base my payments off of a possible plan that a president-elect could change and put into action. Thanks. All right. Uh, well, that's an interesting question and interesting thoughts. I'm really curious, Daniel, as to what your thoughts are on Peter's question. What do you got? All right. So there's a few layers here. Uh, let's start with just uh, math and prudent financial planning and uh, liquidity discussions first. Let's, let's start there. Uh, so if we're looking at your overall financial plan and you are socking away money to pay off debt quicker, a lot of it comes down uh, to the interest rate between what you're paying in debt and what you can save at. So let's imagine that you've got these student loans and boy, I mean, there's interest rates kind of across the board for people's students' loans because it depends on sort of when you locked them in. But let's say you're at sort of recent student loans, maybe three and a half percent, I think, uh, was some of the more recent three and a half, four percent ish. Uh, I know back in the day when I had student loans for a little bit, it was like five or six percent. Uh, but let's let's say that you're we'll round it up four percent. Uh, so you got a four percent student loan here. And let's say that you can sock that money away at the super low savings rates now at your online banks of about 1%, just to keep it round. I think Ally is paying 1.1 right now. If you choose to not make extra payments to your student loans, but instead you put that into a savings account, your uh, cost, your opportunity cost, if you will, of leaving that cash available as opposed to putting it on the student loans is about 3% per year on anything you put in. So you put $100 into the to the uh, savings account, instead of putting that $100 onto the student loan, you are paying roughly $3 for that liquidity. That's that's your cost of liquidity. Okay? Now, logic or math says that, well, if you're paying anything, you might as well add that to the loans uh, because you're automatically going to save money. That's a fixed, basically, 3% rate, which is true. However, one of the things, uh, depending on whether or not you've built up your $1,000 fast cash and your six-month emergency fund and things like that, one of the things that I personally like to do in my life and uh, some other people that we've done planning with also value as well is to build up that liquidity until that sum equals what you're going to sock away and finally pay off that debt with so that that payment just doesn't exist anymore. And the reason for that is, is if something happens, if there's a disruption in your life, you can use that built up savings to continue that payment. However, you have to understand that the difference between what you owe and the difference between what you get in your savings is the effective cost of having that liquidity. So you, you have to do that math, you have to understand that, and you have to be okay with paying that amount to have that liquidity. The more that the interest rate goes up, on the things that you own and or your savings rates go down, the more that cost is going to increase the difference between those two. And you have to realize that have to know that that's an issue. Now, the whole other side of the argument is, well, what about the potential for student loan forgiveness? I don't know whether or not that's going to happen. Uh, nobody really does. It's a good campaign promise. Uh, and it gets voters out. Keep in mind that uh, there's currently $1.5 trillion in student loan debt outstanding. In the world now, some of that uh, is, you know, government subsidized student loans. I think actually 1.5 is the total federal uh, student loan debt, but there's also private student loans on top of that. I believe uh, when they talk about forgiveness, I, I would anticipate that they're really only talking about the federal uh, student loans, not the private lenders. But you know, who knows? The government likes to do a lot of money these days. Well, something could happen. There is talk about something happening, and we'll see what uh, what's going on. But The recent stimulus that they sent out, uh, let's exclude sort of the checks and stuff, and let's look at the forgivable stuff. The payroll protection program that they did 
giving money to, to businesses to pay their staff to keep you know restaurants and small businesses and stuff like that alive. Uh, the total sort of uh, cost of that so far has been uh, $670 billion. So about half of the total student loans outstanding. So let's take that as a litmus. Uh, one, it, we passed that in the depths of the crisis, so it wasn't sort of on the tail end of the crisis. It was just to basically keep the economy limping along, and it was the result of shutting down the economy, the government realizing they had to shut down the economy but sort of do something to compensate. This is a different scenario in that people went into these these loans um, during good times. They have probably the ability to pay them off, and a lot of these loans have fairly long terms. So it'd probably be a harder thing uh, to pass through Congress. Not saying it wouldn't happen, uh, but we're talking about two times the amount of the Paycheck Protection Program and something that is probably economically and politically a lot less palatable on many fronts. So I wouldn't hold your breath on it, uh, but at the same respect, if you want to pay that difference between interest rates that you get to just keep that in your savings in case it comes about, that's a personal choice. All right, excellent. Uh, Peter, my two cents on this is is real simple. Um, Daniel alluded to it. I'm going to just kind of drive it home. Uh, We're in an election cycle, and... Anybody can say anything to garner votes. Uh, We live in a country where, thankfully, uh, and a lot of people may disagree with me on this, but we don't have a dictatorship. So our president may put something forward, and it still has to pass the House and Senate or basically Congress. It has to get congressional approval in order to become a law. Um, The reality is that... Uh, we may we have a student loan issue. We have a problem with the cost of higher education. I understand that. Uh, it is unsustainable, in my opinion. Probably the COVID situation may have um, kind of brought that home to roost a little bit. And I suspect that in the next couple of years, many smaller universities and colleges are going to be shutting their doors. It's going to be very difficult for them uh, to keep things going at the rate that they are trying to charge what they're charging. The reality is, though, is that if this started to really gain traction, I think there's a lot of folks, myself included, who would be lobbying or, or taking the other side. Now, that may tick a lot of our audience off, but here's the deal. My wife and I uh, had between us approximately $50,000 in student loan debt. Now, admittedly, and I'll be very uh, clear about this, uh, my first year, my mother paid for, and I was very pleased with that. She assisted along the way when and where she could, but I also worked 40 hours a week from the minute I stepped foot on campus my freshman year. I worked every summer, and I put a tremendous amount of money towards both schooling and my housing, graduating with no debt. My wife did not have that luxury. She also uh, gained a master's degree. But when we were married, we made it our number one priority after auto, after credit card, to pay off the student loan debt. We did that. So here's a question. That 50000 that we paid off many, many years ago, do I get a credit for that? Do I get some sort of tax credit? Do I get some of that that was federal put back into my bank account because we had student loans and we paid them off? Ooh, yeah. Um, 
I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. I'm just trying to give you the other side. The other side is that people are paying towards that. How would you feel if you took that lump sum that you're talking about, put it down, and six months later they were forgiven? How would you feel about that? So it's a it's a much deeper question than just saying, well, they are going to forgive or they should forgive. You've got Congress that's got to approve it. Then you've got basically the uh, the public that's going to show their support or not for this. And I understand there's a tremendous amount of young people out there right now that are staring at a tremendous amount of loans. But the reality is there's a lot of other folks that have already paid those off that would not be too pleased if we went ahead and just forgave them across the board. My two cents, Peter, follow your plan, as Daniel alluded to. And if it comes down to it and your math makes sense and you're paying this sucker off, just pay it off and be done with it. Great question. I'm sure that hit home for a lot of people out there. Student loans are definitely a hot button. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. And remember, uh, if you are new to the show, send us your question. If we use it on the show, we'll send you a $25 Amazon gift card. Just send us your audio question to podcast at DIYmoney.org. That's podcast at DIYmoney.org. Check us out on Instagram, DIY.money. Or if you're old school and hitting up the Facebook check out the DIY tribe. All right, friends, the secret to wealth is very simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest and do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. And if you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get... $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decision, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.